If you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Kings. 2 Kings. We finished up 1 Kings, didn't we? And 1 Kings ends and 2 Kings picks up right where 1 Kings let off. Does anybody remember what happened at the end of 1 Kings? What happened at the end of 1 Kings? Hopi? King Ahab died. She's exactly right, isn't she? King Ahab died. He was brought back to Samaria and his chariot was rinsed out in the street and the dogs licked up his blood. Justice was prophesied because of his wickedness. Now, there's somebody else that's been in the history of, of Ahab that it seems we haven't seen much of lately. Do you have any ideas who that might be? Now, now think about it with me. Ahab had a major confrontation with one of God's prophets at a place called Mount Carmel. Does anybody remember what happened at Mount Carmel? What happened at Mount Carmel? Uh-huh. And and the and he the test was what? So he said that he Elijah told the prophets of Baal to make an altar, and he was gonna make an altar, and then what was the answer to determine who was the real God? Yes, if fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. Who was that prophet? Who? Oh good, more than one of you know. Yes, Elijah. Elijah is perhaps next to Moses. Well, then next to Jesus. We could keep coming up with different qualifications. But is perhaps the greatest prophet in the whole Old Testament. <clears throat> it was him through whom God accomplished some of his most magnificent miracles. But where has Elijah been? Time has gone by, and, and where has Elijah been? Now, we don't know exactly where in the reign of Ahab Elijah took place, but many believe it was early in the reign. And today we come here, where the yellow line is, at the end of Ahab's reign, and at the beginning of his son Ahaziah's reign. And we've covered so much history since we last saw Elijah. Where has Elijah been? Well, you remember that after Mount Carmel, he went flying down, or running down, to Mount Sinai, where there he met God. And God said, what are you doing here? Go back, I have some jobs for you to do. But what's interesting is we really haven't seen anything of him. And what's fascinating is that even when there was that little situation with Ahab and Jehoshaphat, Elijah wasn't called upon. Remember, Jehoshaphat said, is not there here a prophet of the Lord whom we could inquire of the Lord by? They didn't call for Elijah. Remember, they called for Micaiah, didn't they? Where's Elijah? I don't know. When we open up here in 2 Kings, we find out that he's sitting up on a hilltop. And I wonder... If he's up on that hilltop doing something that he knew an awful lot about, what do you think that might be? What is something that Elijah is famous for? Does anybody know? What is something he's famous for, Lincoln? Praying. Do you know that? Elijah, we think of him as being famous for the guy who... Who, who prayed and fire came down from heaven, burned up the offering. But really what's 
the history and the significance of Elijah is that he is a praying prophet. You see here, we have Elijah praying. And the Bible tells us that he prayed that at night might not rain. That's not normal. And it wasn't just for one special day because he had some picnic. He was praying that God would not bring rain to bring his people back to himself. In fact, he prayed for three years and six months that it would not rain. And it didn't rain. Elijah was a praying prophet. He saw the trouble in Israel and he brought it to God. You remember that God answered his prayer and a drought came and no water was there. In that time, God led Elijah up to a widow woman's house. Do you remember that? And he lived with that widow woman. And do you remember that that widow woman had a son? What happened to that son? Hannah? He died. But then what did Elijah do about it? Does only Hannah know? What did Elijah do about it? He prayed to God. And God raised that little boy to life. He prayed. We find Elijah praying again. Then we come to that conflict on Mount Carmel where the prophets of Baal spend all morning leaping on their altar and cutting themselves and praying to Baal with no answer. And then Elijah did what? What did he do? He prayed. And when he prayed, fire fell from heaven and consumed that sacrifice. And not only the sacrifice, but all of the wood and all of the stones and even licked up the dirt that was under the altar. God answered his prayer. Elijah was a praying prophet. After this, do you know what Elijah did? He went up on a hilltop. And you know what he did up on that hilltop? Does anybody remember? What did he do? He prayed. That's right. He went up on that hilltop and you see him there. He prayed. And you know what he prayed for? That it would rain. That's right. He prayed that it would rain. And did it rain? It sure did. God answered his prayer. Elijah was a praying prophet. Are we praying Christians? God is going to use this prophet who knew what it meant to pray to teach Ahab's son, King Ahaziah, a lesson on prayer. He's also going to use Elijah to teach again all of us the importance of seeking God through prayer and his word. So what happens? Well, I told you to open your Bibles up to 2 Kings, but we're not quite ready to do that because 2 Kings starts rather abruptly. I mean, it just starts right in and um, doesn't give much introduction as to what's going on at all. And so I'd like you to just turn one page back to 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22. And look with me at verse 40. It says, So Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his stead. Your majesty, come on up here. King Ahaziah. Here he is. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab. You're now king. What do you say when the king gets crowned? Yeah, somebody's got it. What do they say? 
they don't sound like they want you to live long. You poor guy. He's been crowned king. Long live the king, right? Long live King Ahaziah. Now, if you know your timeline, hmm, don't want me to show the timeline again. Did anybody notice how long Ahaziah reigned on the timeline? Let's look again here. Ah, there he is. Oh, ooh. His name can't even fit in his space. I just told you ahead of the story. Well, here we've got Ahaziah. It tells us that Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his stead. Now jump to verse 41 or 51. It says, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned two years over Israel. So if we look at our timeline here, you can see that it's in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat. That's the king of Judah down here. Right here, that's when Ahaziah began to reign. And he reigned two years. I don't know that the cries long live the king did much good for you. So anyway, it tells us what kind of a man he was. Now, do you think that being a son of Ahab, he would be a good king or a bad king? Wait a minute. Who says kids are like their dads? They don't have to be. Goes both ways too, by the way. You see, each of us are individuals. But you're right, Lincoln. He's a bad king. But now I got another question. Ahaziah. Ahaziah. That's a Hebrew name, right? Now, we talked a lot about Hebrew names, haven't we? Listening to the name Ahaziah, do you think you can figure out any piece of that name? Think you can? How many of you think you, you can piece out at least one part of what that name means? It has to do with the end. What's this guy's name? Elijah. How's his name end? Yeah. Elijah. Ahaziah. Hear the endings? They both have the name Jehovah, Yahweh, in them. Elijah means, my God is Jehovah. Ahaziah has an interesting name. His name means Jehovah has grasped. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that name means, nor am I exactly sure why Ahab, a pagan, wicked, godless king, would give him a name that had Jehovah in it. Political reasons, maybe? Blasphemous reasons? I don't know. But he has a Hebrew name that means Jehovah has grasped or taken hold of. How's that work? Well, do you think that since he's got Jehovah in his name that he's a good guy? Hmm. Elijah, just because your name is Elijah, does that mean that you will be a God-loving person? No. You have to love God in your heart, right? Just because his name means my God is Jehovah, does that mean that Elijah's God is Jehovah? Not just because of his name. That's true for Ahaziah too. And so Ahaziah, it says in verse 52, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother. What was his mother's name? Jezebel. And in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. Okay, a thousand points. Who knows who Jeroboam is? Oh, good. Why did a thousand points motivate you all? It's not worth anything. They're just points. Yes, you know who he is. 
Is he on this timeline? What color is he? Just shout it out if you know. Red. He's the very first king of Israel up there. The very first king of Israel, Jeroboam the first. And so it tells us here that Ahaziah did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the way, that means he's lived his life in the way that Ahab his father did, in the way that Jezebel his mother did, and in the way that the first king of Israel, Jeroboam the first, the son of Nebat, did. And what's Jeroboam, the son of Nebat's legacy? Over and over when we find his name, this phrase comes with it. Who made Israel to sin. He was the one who set up two golden calves, one way up at Dan, one down at Bethel, and told the people, these be the Lord, Jehovah, your God. Maybe Ahab named him Ahaziah, not after the true Jehovah, but after this pagan evil cult that also was given the name Jehovah by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. You see, the reason why I said he made Israel to sin is because what he did and what he set up way back then in, in 975 B.C., now we've gone, you know, 75, you know, almost 100 years later. And it's still there. Still causing trouble in Israel. Verse 53. He served Baal. Not only did he follow in the ways of Jeroboam the first, which is implying that he followed in this pagan worship of a false Jehovah. A made-up Jehovah. Golden calves. But he also served Baal like his mother and worshiped him and provoked the anger of the Lord God of Israel, the real God of Israel, according to all that his father had done. The king, no better than his father. And so we turn the page to 2 Kings and it tells us then Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now, who's Moab? Well, Moab are distant relatives of the Jews. And the king of Moab, over there, on the other side of the Jordan River, at this time, rebels. Well, you know what that means? That means that he's been a servant to Israel, hasn't he? What's the details of this? I haven't heard anything about this. I haven't heard anything about Ahab having Moab under subjection where the king of Moab could rebel when he's dead. Well, that's why we have to look at more passages. Because if we jump forward in our Bibles over to chapter 3 and verse 4, we find out this king's name. It tells us that Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep master. It means he took care of sheep. He was the master of sheep. And he rendered unto the king of Israel a hundred thousand lambs. That's a lot of lambs. And a hundred thousand rams with their wool. Now, what's all that mean? Well, it's implied here that he was the guy who was responsible for taking care of for the kings of Israel. 200,000 animals, and not only just taking care of them, but also when their wool came in, sending it off to the king of Israel, keeping it not for himself, but sending it to Israel. And then apparently when it came time for the rams or the lambs to be butchered, they all got sent to the king of Israel. Nice deal, huh? You don't have to take care of any of your sheep, any of your rams. All the wool comes to you as it is needed. And then when it's time to eat them, you just get the meat. Nice deal, huh? Well, that was what Misha, king of Moab, was doing with Ahab. But Ahab's dead. Guess what? I'm not going to do it anymore. I am going to rebel against the new king of Israel. And that's exactly what he did. For when Ahab was dead, Misha, no more. 
Well, we're going to come back to this later. But that's a problem. That's a lot of food. That's a lot of wool. You know, when new people come into power, everybody analyzes the economy, don't they? Well, sometimes it's just for political showmanship and sensationalism. But in this case, this is a problem. The economy is a disaster now because of this. And a potential threat of war. But that's it. That's all we hear about it here in Ahaziah's reign. Meanwhile, Ahaziah is in his house. His throne is in Samaria. You know what? In that part of the country, even still today, they have houses with flat roofs. And they have balconies on some of the above the levels. Well, Ahaziah has one of those kinds of houses. And you know we have railings. Why do we have railings, Naomi? What do railings keep you from doing? Falling. She said falling off her bed. That's the one railing she knows about. Yeah. You wouldn't want to fall out of your bed, would you? How about, would you like to fall from up there? No, I wouldn't either. So we have a railing. Well, he has a railing here too, King Ahaziah. And um, his railing is called here a, a lattice. And on one particular day, and we don't, we don't know the details, Ahaziah fell down through the lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria. And it was pretty serious. Yeah, I need some helpers. You okay, Ahaziah? Hey, Joel, Christopher, um, William, and I'll help. We got to help this guy. Good thing, good thing, good thing we have a stretcher. Okay, let's pick him up. Poor Ahaziah, stuck in his bed, stuck in his bed, can't move at all. Oh, don't put it in front of his face. He's not that bad, is he? He's pretty serious. He's not getting up. And there is he's laying on his bed. He's fretting. He's worrying. We ask a question. Why worry when you can pray? Hey, Isaiah, you ought to sing that song. Right? Shouldn't he? Why worry when you can pray? Well, Elijah would know what to do, wouldn't he? But Elijah's not there. He's up on a hill. You're going up to your hill. He's up on a hill. Ahaziah falls through the lattice, and he's sick. Really bad. And so he calls for some messengers. And uh, these messengers come to him. And Ahaziah, he gives them an instruction. Inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. Is there something wrong with that? Go, inquire of Beelzebul, the god of Ekron, and um, whether I shall recover this disease. Well, who is Beelzebub? You might say that's not what it says. It says Beelzebub. Well, that's a funny little story. Beelzebub. Do you know what Beelzebub means? It's not the real name of this god. No. Beelzebub is a name that the Jews gave to this god. And it's funny 
I think, that the Holy Spirit honors that name and uses it here in the record. Beelzebub means, well, Baal, which is the first part of the name, Baal, means Lord. And Beelzebub means Lord of Flies. Now, do you think you would go to someone named the Lord of Flies? Well, that was the joke. That's the reason why the Jews called this God Beelzebub. Because it sounded ever so similar to the real name, which was Beelzeol. And you know what that name means? The real name that the people of Ekron gave to Beelzebub? The real name? It means Lord of Life. Do you see the difference? Now do you see why it's so funny that the Jews called the Lord of Life the Lord of Flies? It's hilarious. So here now, he is calling for the Lord of Life to know, will I recover? Now this is interesting. I have a question for you, Ahaziel. Why don't you ask the Lord of Flies, the Lord of Life as you call him, why don't you ask him to heal you? Do you notice what he asked? He didn't ask this Lord of life to heal him. He asked this Lord of life whether or not he would recover. That gives a little bit of a hint as to how powerful this God really is. Apparently, this God isn't worth much more than fortune-telling. Because if he could heal, surely you would ask him to heal you. Now let me ask you a question. Can the true God, can Jehovah heal him? Are you sure? It doesn't sound like very many of you are sure. Can Jehovah heal him? Yeah, Jehovah could. But he doesn't send messengers to Jehovah. He sends messengers to Beelzebub. Beelzebub, by the way, is a name that by the time of the New Testament is used to refer to Satan, the archangel who is a demon and the enemy of God, who behaves himself as a God, but really isn't a God. He's just a created being, but he likes to parade himself as God. So these messengers are gone 40 miles away to find out whether or not he's going to recover of this, his sickness. Will he recover? Well, meanwhile, as these messengers are traveling, someone speaks to Elijah. Look at verse 3. It says, but the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite. Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say unto them, is it not because there is not a God in Israel that you go to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now therefore saith the Lord, thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And so those messengers are coming. And who do they happen to meet? This here messenger. Who's he happen to meet? But Elijah. For it tells us that Elijah did that because he departed. And it's implied that he did this very message. And so you find this guy. You there. Look. Look at this guy. He's got a message for you. You see him up there? Say unto King Ahaziah, is it not because there is not a God in Israel that ye go to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shall surely die. So these messengers who are on their way to Ekron, 40 miles away, see this man, have no idea who he is, but he gives them this message for their king. So these messengers, 
they turn around and they go back to Samaria. And they come to his majesty, his majesty the king. And they, <laughs> the king's kind of confused. Uh, 40 miles is a long ways away and 40 miles back is a long ways away. Why are they back so fast? Why are you now turned back? So Kenan came a man up to meet us and, and said, let's go. To the king that sent you, and, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, it is not because, is it not because there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore thou shalt not, therefore thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou hast gone up, but, but shall surely die. What manner of man was he which came up to meet you and told you these words? He was a hairy man uh, with the girdle about the loins with a girdle of leather. And is Elijah the Tishbite. So what's he going to do about this? Uh, he calls for some people. He calls for the captains of his army. The king wants you guys. There's a captain of 50. Here's another captain of 50. Looks like he oversees the archers. Where's my other captain of 50? Yeah, there's another one. Oh, we got, a, we got 153 guys here. Well, Ahaziah is furious. How dare this man speak this way? Now, I'm curious. If, um, if you received this message, what would you do? What would you do? You would think you would seek out this prophet and ask for mercy. You would think that he'd call these guys to, to carry him to this messenger, to this Elijah, the Tishbite. I mean, Elijah the Tishbite raised a boy from the dead. Ha, huh, that sounds like a good guy I want to go to, right? He's got connections. Well, so could he. And so could we. But do we pray or we just do it the way we think we should do it whenever we have problems? Well, so what's Ahaziah going to do? Well, he has his captain of 50. And um, he sends a captain of 50 to confront Elijah the Tishbite. Now, I need some helpers. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 6, 7, 8, 9, 50. Okay, all of you stand up. Now, you're the 50. How's that? And uh, here's your captain. You're captain of these 50. You're going to lead these 50. This is how many 50 people is. See this? 50 people. This is how many 50 people are. You think that all 50 of you and I know you got children mixed in here. Just imagine these are all soldiers. You think you 50 can take care of him? Look at him. He's just one. You think you can go take care of Elijah up there? <laughs> so, this captain with his 50, he goes to meet Elijah. For it says that when he went, behold, Elijah, he sat upon the top of a hill. And uh, you see him up there? And the captain, he spake to him. Thou man of God, the king hath said, come down. Let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And so what happens? 
Well, uh, there Elijah is, and it says that if I be a prophet, then let fire come down from heaven. I don't know why this happens every time. All of you fall dead. Some of you are laughing. I don't think they were laughing. They're dead, dead, dead. Fire came down from heaven. Look what Elijah says. You see the man, he comes to him, this captain of the 50. He says, thou man of God. Do you think he really believes he's a man of God? I wonder. I think Elijah wonders. For he says, thou man of God. The king had said, come down. What was Elijah says? If I be the man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy 50. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Now, if this was the same kind of fire that fell on um, Mount Carmel, remember what that fire did? It burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stone, the water, and the dirt. I wonder if there's anything left. Somehow, is it a surprise to you? News of this gets back to Ahaziah. This is a pretty big event, so it's pretty clear that somebody saw it and um, made sure to get the news back to King Ahaziah. Now, if you had sent 51 men to arrest one guy and none of them return and news comes that they're gone, they're dead, I'm speculating even no bones left. Do you think that would get your attention? Like, like he said, I wouldn't go if I knew his track record. Well, he's got a track record, nice and fresh. Isaiah, will you seek the Lord? What was the message of the messenger? Why do you seek after the Lord of flies? Is there not a God in Israel? Let me bring that modern. Why do we seek after our own ways and trust in ourselves? Is there not a true God? How often do we try to tackle the problems of the day and don't even take time to pray? Or if we do, just in casual rote. Is there not a God? Am I just proving there's a God? So what are you going to do, Isaiah? He's going to send another 51 soldiers. So he summons another captain of 50. Oh, if you stand up again, oh, I, you, we would have to get another group, but you just play along. Do you guys think you can get him? I really wonder what them 50 people were thinking. Aren't you? I wonder what they were thinking. I wonder what you were thinking. So, this next captain of 50 is sent by King Ahaziah. And he answered and he said unto Elijah, O man of God, thus hath the king said, come down quickly. If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And there came fire of God down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. A hundred and two soldiers, a hundred and two soldiers are dead. Isaiah, do you hear? Fire came down from heaven and consumed 
the second 50 and their captain. You think God's got his attention now? And King Isaiah, he sent again a captain of the third 50 with his 50. Another 50. Now I got a question for you all, Mr. Captain. You think you can get them? Third time's a charm. He's run out all that magical juice. Right? No, 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 no. This isn't magical juice. I shouldn't have even said that. In fact, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Everything that happened here is not a fairy tale. It's not a legend. It happened. It's history. Well, now, here is this third captain. Is he going to bring Elijah back? Well, as this third captain of 50 and his army come to Elijah, he behaves himself a little bit different. All three of these captains are a little bit different. See, the first one, he says, Thou man of God, the king hath said, come down. The second guy says, O man of God, thus hath the king said, Come down quickly. And now this third captain says that when he came, he fell on his knees before Elijah. And I wonder if the rest of the 50 did too. And besought him and said unto him, O oh, man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these thy fifty servants be precious in thy sight. Behold, there came down from heaven, there came fire down from heaven and burnt up the two captains of the former fifties with their fifties. Therefore, let my life now be precious in thy sight. So what's Elijah going to do? Now, the angel of the Lord spoke to Elijah and said, Go down with him. Be not afraid of him. So Elijah rose, and he went down with him unto the king. This is fascinating. You can all sit down. You didn't get burned up with fire. You see, what's happened here is, is that these 51 at least the leader, has humbled themselves and sought mercy. King Isaiah, that's exactly what you should have done the day you fell down from your upper chamber. It's to humble himself under God's mighty hand. God was trying to get his attention. It was a minor thing to fall down through the lattice. It didn't work. Instead, he becomes harder and harder and harder. And so captain of the third 50 and his 50 they bring Elijah unto the king and Elijah said unto him thus saith the Lord for as much as thou hast sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub the god of Ekron is, is it not because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word Therefore, thou shalt not come down off that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. Now, I am dying, not literally, but very curious. 
What happened between verse 16 and 17? Did Elijah just walk out? Did he die two years later? Three days later? Did he die at the period, at the end of verse 16? I don't know. But what the Lord said happened. For verse 17 says, so he, King Ahaziah, died according to the word of who? The Lord, which Elijah had spoken. And Jehoram, not his son, his brother, Jehoram, Ahaziah's brother, reigned in his stead. In the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Not a reference to our book of the Chronicles, but the detailed record of the king's events and the order of schedule and details. Two years he lived, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. A very sad day. Stubborn. He brought about not only his own death, but the death of 102 other of his soldiers because he refused to humble himself before God, the true Lord of life, the giver of life, the sustainer of life. But he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. Which, by the way, I'm saying all this, it's not even guaranteed that God would have healed him if he did. But even in spite of that, he absolutely refused. A vivid lesson for Israel and a very important lesson for all of us. When we need counsel, what do we do? What do we do? Do we just do our own thing our own way because that's what we think is best? Do you know how many people, especially young people, well, it's not really especially young people, young people are picked on the most because they're, they're so obvious about it. How often do all of us do what we do giving little or no regard to what God has said in his word? Let's be like Elijah a man who is said to be of like passions as we. Remember, he's the guy who was done with it. He said, God, take my life. You see, Elijah now comes back, and he's strong. He knows what is real and true. He's a man of prayer. Do we pray? Do we seek the Lord? Do we seek his counsel and his way? through his word and through godly counselors and also authorities that God's put in our lives to guide us and to help us? Do we seek our God? Or do we just walk in our own way according to our own understanding? That's what's so beautiful about the proverb. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Do you know that verse? I know many of you have memorized it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord. With all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear. The Lord, 
and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel. That's your belly button. You might think, does my belly button need health? Let me tell you, it does. And morrow to thy bones. You might think the most insignificant little part of me, you know what, my belly button, I mean, what's the big deal if it's, it's healthy or not? Well, the point here is that it's health from the most insignificant part of your body to the most important part of your body. The marrow of the bones. The marrow is what makes the blood. All this. That's what he needed, didn't it? Is that what he needed? He needed this. This truth. And you know what? He actually had it in his day. But he chose not to. Rather, he chose to be wise in his own eyes. And he had no fear of the Lord. At the end of verse 16, back there in 2 Kings chapter 1, the end of verse 16, he had the fear of the Lord. But it was too late. How about us? Let's trust in him in all times. Father, thank you. Thank you for recording this history for us. Help us to learn from it. May we be people who seek you and trust you every day, every moment of our lives, and that we be not wise in our own eyes or walk in our own understanding, but trust in you and acknowledge you in all our ways. We commit ourselves to you now today in that. And may we walk serving you, worshiping you in reverence and godly fear. For we do this day acknowledge you as a consuming fire and give thanks to you that you are also our Savior and our God. We love you because you first loved us and we give ourselves to you now in Christ's name. Amen.